Volatility in the market is a fact. What isn't so clear is what the ups and downs of the market can do to your retirement portfolio. For answers, call Kevin Brooker at 800-975-6717. Kevin is founder and CEO of Silverleaf Financial, and he's been helping people cut through the noise to create a retirement and income plan that can take you all the way through retirement. Call now for your free financial consultation, 800-975-6717. Today's market volatility can really take a toll on your portfolio. But what if you could lock in your gains and still be in a position to participate in the gains without suffering losses if the market plunges again? That's what Kevin Brooker at Silverleaf Financial can help you achieve. Your no-cost analysis includes a portfolio x-ray showing any hidden fees in your current plan. He'll show you how by claiming Social Security at the right time can make a huge difference in your retirement income. Call Kevin Brooker today, 800-975-6717. Do it today. This is Kevin Brooker. Welcome to Cruising Through Retirement. You know, the recent bank failures, along with the wild, wild swings in the market and the rising interest rates, have a lot of people, retirees and pre-retirees included, really running through the hills. So we want everybody to come on back down. Today we're going to cut through the noise and we're going to try to calm some of those fears. Cruising Through Retirement with Kevin Brooker. Kevin is an investment advisor representative with more than 30 years experience. He's helped thousands of people cruise through retirement, and he'd be happy to help you too. Stick around for today's adventure on Cruising Through Retirement. This is Kevin Brooker. Welcome to Cruising Through Retirement. You know, the recent bank failures, along with the wild, wild swings in the market and the rising interest rates, have a lot of people, retirees and pre-retirees included, really running for the hills. So we want everybody to come on back down. Today, we're going to cut through the noise, and we're going to try to calm some of those fears. Hey, welcome in, everybody. We are cruising through retirement. Cars all warmed up, ready to go. Kevin Brooker here. He's behind the wheel, so to speak. He's a, a fiduciary investment advisor representative and independent. Silverleaf Financial is where you'll find him. We, he's been helping folks for more than 30 years getting to and through retirement. You can find him silverleaffinancial.com. He's an author, wrote the book called The Millionaire's Guide to Tax-Free Money for Long-Term Care. Visit the website. Get your, your copy absolutely free. He would love to make sure you get one. Uh, hi, Kevin. How's things? Hey, things are, things are going great. A lot better here than uh, in the stock market these days. Holy cow. What's going on, man? I mean, it's uh, been a, I mean, I know we overuse the term, but it's really been a roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it, it, it probably is overused, but you know what? With good purpose these days, because it is it has been a serious roller coaster. Uh, in particular, if anybody watches closely, if you guys have been walking, watching some of these uh, regional bank stocks, I, I, these things are trading like I've never seen in my entire 30, 33 years I've been doing this. Wow. I don't remember ever seeing stocks trade like this. Uh, so give me it, an example. Really what crazy. do you say? So you're saying the regional banks are are, are out there? Yeah the, yeah, the regional banks. In fact, the, the regional bank index, I think the symbol is KRE, um, has really gotten abused lately. It looks, you know... Uh, Looks like an EKG that you know you don't, you don't want it to you don't want it to look that way, guys. Um, you, you know, but for instance, First Republic Bank symbols F F like Frank, R like Republic, and C like Charlie. Um, if you look at that stock, that bank had a hundred one hundred fifty billion dollars in deposits at the end of the year. 
Um, but then it got into a problem. Uh, stock was trading at like $145, I want to say, first week in February. And today, this week, it went as low as 12. Oh, um, my gosh. So it's Well, that had to make some people a little nervous. Do you think, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that is exactly it. I mean, that's like 90% taken out of, 90% in six, what, six, seven, eight weeks? I mean, it's it's unbelievable. And so this is why you, you want to be careful where you put your money, right? And what you invested in. Um, see, the thing is, the the it didn't, this is a bank that actually had uh, last week, I think it was, um, many other banks, 11, 11 other banks, big ones like Chase and Wells Fargo, Bank of America. They actually sent a combined $30 billion in deposits to this bank because um, as I understand it, First Republic Bank was actually very, you know, pretty, very well respected and, and highly regarded, um, including by other big banks, very, very wealthy people, you know, the billionaires of the world like Jamie Dimon. Um, and they all got together collectively and said, you know what, we're sending these guys $30 billion to show everybody we trust them. We're confident in them because what you guys want to remember, that $30 billion is not insured, okay? Your insurance is $250,000. So if it's 11 banks, that means a little less than, what, $3 million is insured out of $30 billion. So that was a statement by the other banks to try to shore up confidence in this bank. And then, unfortunately, it got hit again. And, um, and, and so it is not, uh, it is an ongoing situation, uh, guys, the lesson here to me and what I want to point out to everybody, please, if, if you're, if you're in a situation where you've got more than $250,000 at one bank, please consider moving it. M the moral of the story is don't have more than 250,000 in any one bank. If you do, if you have to do that, if you just don't want to have multiple bank, bank accounts, then I would suggest moving the money to one of the big money center banks. Uh, and I'm talking about Chase, Bank of America, uh, Wells Fargo. That's really wow. what I, maybe, maybe you could put Citigroup in that category. They're, they're, you know, Citi is a different story. They're, they've got a lot more international operations. They're not, in my opinion, not quite as solid as Chase and B of A and Wells. Wells Fargo, of course, has its own, you know, has had a series of problems. Now, some people, you know what, Steve, what's interesting to me is I heard a long time ago, you know, back not to bring up terrible memories, but no. um I've had a lot of people tell me that they feel like after a plane crashes, that the safest time to fly in airlines is after that's happened. Okay. That's because the time to, the, yeah, exactly. The theory is that's when all, everybody's looking at it. Everybody's paying attention. They're paying closer attention now than they have maybe in a long, long time. And so that's probably when it's the safest because everybody's now after the problem, after the accident, now everybody's paying really close attention. Um, and the airline is really doing everything they can to keep everything solid because they don't want to have another accident. And, and they apply that same theory. So, so some people look at Wells Fargo and they say, you know, this bank got in a lot of trouble. You know, if you, if you remember the account scandal a couple of years ago, oh yeah, they, they were, you know, they, they had reps at the bank were opening up dozens and dozens and dozens of accounts for, for one individual because they had bonuses and incentives going on. They had sales contests. And so the bank employees were opening up all sorts of accounts without the customer's knowledge. And that wound up with Wells Fargo getting getting hit with a pretty massive fine and penalties. Um, they shut them down. They said, you guys can no longer accept new money. They put a cap on the deposits. These are the regulators put caps on the deposits as Wells Fargo, you know, could collect. Um, and that, that's been over the last several years. They've gotten hit. I believe they've gotten hit with other scandals and other, pe other penalties from the regulators. So theoretically, you could look at Wells because it's on going a massive reorganization, restructuring. 
you could like it, look at it and say, I'm comfortable with it. Cause I know they're doing, every, you know, they are under the magnifying glass. Um, and so the regulators are watching them very closely. So you might feel comfortable. Maybe you don't, but my point is don't take the chance on uninsured deposits. All right. One of the reasons why, um, and I won't spend the whole show on this, I promise. Uh, but I don't believe there's any, uh, I don't believe there's a major risk to the banking system. What I believe, I'm not, I'm not saying that that means there won't be other bank failures, because I do think there are. Uh, if you remember Warren Buffett, I believe it was, many years ago, says something to the effect of, when, of how when the tide goes out, that's when you can see who's swimming without their shorts on. Yes. <laughs> right? That, yep. Wasn't that Buffett? I thought, you're right, it was. Yeah, I remember reading well, that. Well, I tell you what, right? That, the guys, that's what we're seeing. What we're seeing is companies that mismatched uh, their assets and their liabilities. In other words, what happened with Silicon Valley Bank is that they, they had depositors that were very, very concentrated with very, very wealthy people that are in the venture capital startup industry. So it was a very concentrated client base. And what they did is they had, they had a solid deposit base, but then a rumor came out and they're, they're calling this the first bank failure because of Twitter, um, because of social media, the word got sp was spread so quickly, people started withdrawing their deposits in mass which is the classic run on the bank. And because they withdrew so much in deposits, the bank was start forced to start selling its assets. In other words, its investments, because you know when you deposit money in a bank, they invest it. Mm -hmm. And in the case, and in this case, they were apparently buying a lot of very long-term treasury bonds. Okay, so think like 20 and 30 year treasury bonds. And anybody that's followed the market, anybody, I, I think this is like you know, economics 101. When interest rates rise, the value of a bond goes down. And so I have, and, and as I've heard it, they did not even have a risk manager at this bank, okay? And guys, most of the big banks, they don't just have a risk manager, they've got an entire department that's risk management. And what that means is these people, their job all day long is to make sure that we don't get into a situation like this where you've got to sell long-term vehicles to meet a short-term withdrawal need from a customer. And so that's what we're saying is a mismatch because there are tools out there for institutions like banks to go to, to let's say the Mercantile Exchange, CME in Chicago. They can go there and, and hedge their risk. They can invest in vehicles that would protect them if this situation arose. But apparently they didn't do that. Mm -hmm. And so, so the comment about seeing who's out there you know, swimming without their shorts on, that's what I'm saying. When these situations happen, when we have extreme movements in the market, that's when we see, okay, obviously this institution was not managing the risk. That's why the government had to step in and take them over. All right. The situation with Signature Bank, another one that failed a couple of weeks ago, that was largely due to crypto, as far as I can tell, cryptocurrency. Um, and, and so that's another unique situation it is, that is not uh, symbolic of the majority of the banks in this country. And so I don't think I don't think anybody needs to worry. Um, in my view, you definitely don't have to worry about anything up to two hundred fifty thousand at a bank because it is covered by FDIC insurance. Um, and for the record, some people are out there saying, "Hey, the FDIC is now covering everything." No, that is not true. All right, what they have said and what Treasury Secretary Yellen just said, who oversees all of this, is that this is on a case by case basis. So essentially, what they're doing is probably if there's another bank that failed like today or tomorrow. The, the FDIC would probably cover it because what they're trying to do is prevent a panic. They're trying to keep everything orderly. Mm -hmm. In other words, nobody wants to see a run on the banks. Nobody wants to see massive swings in, in either direction, really. And so the, the government is doing it now 
to try to calm everybody down and try to calm the situation down and to prevent anybody from losing money. But that does not mean they're saying they will cover unlimited deposits at a at a bank. So don't please don't think about it that way. Uh, and let's, like I said earlier, if you do have more than two fifty at a bank, two hundred fifty thousand, just open another bank account. And if you happen to have a couple million, then open ten bank accounts. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, well, I and, mean, you, you talk about the run on the bank, and and it it brings to mind you know a movie that we always watch every Christmas, and I I, I just got to play this if that's okay. Oh, definitely, definitely. Sorry. So this is from It's a Wonderful Life. Kind of describes exactly what's happening. I was just talking to old man Potter, and he's guaranteed cash payments to the bank. The bank's going to reopen next week. But, George, I got my money here. Did he guarantee this place? I'll take mine now. No, but you're, you're, you're thinking of this place all wrong, as if I had the money back in a safe. The, the money's not here. <laughs> the money's not here. <laughs> no, the, money, the money's not and, but uh, that's really the same thing. I mean, you know, overly simplified, certainly, but uh, but it's the same thing that happened. It, it is, and that's a classic movie, right? It's oh, a Wonderful yeah. Life. When when was that recorded? I mean, I don't know how don't many know, decades I think the, ago. Forties, sometime. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's it's not a new theme, right? It, and, <laughs> no. and, and and the government. You know what? I I'm gonna say I, I there's plenty of times, plenty of conversations I've had where I blame the government and say how you know how they seem to be a bunch of fools. Let's say it nicely. Uh, as nice as I can. <laughs> see, yes, okay. Uh, all right, but I, I will congratulate. I think the government has done a hell of a job, all right, in stepping in to control the situation, making sure it didn't get out of control. Granted, it's been volatile, but this is nothing compared to what it could have been, guys. We could have woken up a couple of weeks ago on that Monday when, they, when the government stepped in over the weekend and they took over Signature Bank and they took over S, uh, uh, SVB, is Silicon Valley Bank in California. It was the same weekend they took... They took SVB over on Saturday and they took Signature over on Sunday. If they had not done that, that Monday we came in would have been another Black Monday. We'd have probably we'd have probably dropped twenty percent on that day, and it didn't happen because the government stepped in and they took it over. They reassured the investors and then they worked to find the, then they're working to find buyers, which is what they always do. They take it over to calm everybody down to show everybody, hey, we've got it. It's okay. And then they look for a buyer. And in virtually all the cases, they, they're going to find a buyer. Signature Bank was just, uh, um, I think it was the New York Community Bank that just a couple of days ago stepped in. They worked out a deal with regulators and they took, they, they took, uh, they bought it. Mm -hmm. What was left, what, what was left. And actually New York Community Bank had a heck of a, I think it jumped seven or 8% the next day. Um, you know, so there are good assets at these institutions, but they were mismanaged. They didn't manage the risk like they should have. And, and when we have a rapid rise in interest rates like we went through, that's what happens. And, and I'm, I'm going to please, though, this is not don't blame the regulators. Don't blame the Federal Reserve. Don't blame the central bank. All right. Because they rose. They raised rates. Everybody and their brother knew that they were raising rates. Oh, they yeah. That was no clear. secret. Yeah, it was no secret. Right. Everybody knew it. Yep. And, and if I and if me, little you know, Kevin Brooker out here, if I know and I'm aware of it, don't tell me that the people at the bank didn't know this. <laughs> they okay? had to know. You're right. They I hadn't had, thought about it that way, but you're right. They had to know. They had to know. And and so don't blame the government. To me, I've said it before, that's like a captain that wrecks his boat, wrecks his ship, blames the ocean, all right, for wrecking his ship. It's not the fault of the ocean or the gravitational pull or the Federal Reserve raising rates. It's the fault of the individual that made the decisions that he or she made that put them in a position where they could suffer this loss. They should have known better. The captain should know how to navigate through rough waters, 
just like a bank management team should know how to navigate through tough economic times. It's not the fault of the overall macro situation. It's the fault of the individual that didn't employ any risk measurement tools, risk management tools to prevent this from happening. So let me ask you this. So, you know, with the Silicon Valley Bank, it's, it's a unique bank. They, they cater to high, you know, I mean, companies really that have lots of money and that's who they're dealing with. Yes. Are there a lot of banks like that? You know what? Not, I don't believe, I wouldn't say there's a lot of them. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank is, it was considered like a staple in that community for the last 40 years. Sure. Um, almost every company, I think it was over half. I think over half the companies that came public in the last 40 years, in some way, one or another, they were involved with Silicon Valley Bank. And, and so it is a massive, massive piece of that, uh, you know, the, the infrastructure of the culture, if you will, in that area. Uh, some people say that there's no way they can, you know, that we could go forward without it. But, but you're right, because what they would do is, is a lot of these venture capital companies and these just think of really wealthy people. OK, they're really, really wealthy people. They're looking for ways to make money. And what they do is they put it into uh, what we call startups. They give them seed money. Uh, you know, so this is they're loaning bank companies money that are very, very young. They might they think they've got a great idea. Um, but this is far well before they come public. Uh, and a lot of companies can go through many, many rounds of private financing before they ever go public. And so what happens though, is when the uh, venture capitalists give them money, you know, the, the management team of that startup company also gets, you know, makes several million dollars. Right. And so you got a lot of these young people in their twenties that, that have just received like, have got like $10 million from, from, from a company and the venture capital companies would require them contractually to keep that money at Silicon Valley bank. So they didn't, the entrepreneurs didn't have a choice. They had to keep it there because their contract stipulated that they did. So there's a lot of things like that going on behind the scenes, but it is not a normal situation. In fact, uh, if you're looking to invest in a bank, one of the metrics that you should look at is how much, what percentage of their deposits are insured. Okay. So in other words, you want a safe investment in a bank. Okay. Let me say it this way. A safer way to invest in a bank is where you have maybe 80 or 90% of the deposits all insured. What that means is that's the percentage that has 250,000 or less in that account. So it's insured by FDIC versus Silicon Valley Bank had something like between 80 and 90% of the deposits were uninsured. And that means you've got a smaller number of accounts that have a great deal of money, you know, 10 million, 20 million, 30 million, um, the bulk of which is uninsured. For instance, Roku, I think was the biggest. Uh, they had $450 million at that bank. Yeah, that's what I keep hearing. You know, and Roblox, another one that just came public a few years ago, I think they had one, I think it was 150, 150 million. Um, so, those, so those are some, you know, companies uh, that had far more than they should. And I, I don't know why anybody or any institution for that matter would do that. Um, but maybe it was part of their contract. We just don't know. Um, my point is that I don't believe it's, it's something to be concerned about. But if you have over 250, please reduce it to 250 and open another bank account, preferably at one of the big ones like Chase or or Bank of America would be my suggestion. Okay. So, I mean, is that something that, uh, you know, banking, the stock, is that something that, that people invest in or that you, I mean, do you put plans together and maybe include some of that if it's a good value? It, it, yeah, that, that's exactly what I do, but I have not been investing in financials or in banks for a while um, because, one, see, one of the ways that banks make money, we, we, we call it net interest margin. Some people call it NIM, um, net interest income. Um, and so what that means is you deposit your money there and they might pay you 2% and 
And then they turn around and they loan it out in a car loan at 7%. Sure. All right. So their net interest margin is 5% in that example. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, so if, uh, that's one of the, one, that's the spread, for instance, uh, bank of America, I believe has got one of the biggest, uh, net interest margin plays. Um, and so when interest rates are going down, like they are now, that means they're going to, that means it impacts that margin, which means they make less money. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, so I have not been investing in banks because one, because of interest rates and two, because of all the forecasts for recession, if there's a recession, right. That means lending standards are going to rise. And what that means is maybe before they would have given out a loan to somebody that had a credit score of 700. Now, maybe they're going to make it, you got to have a credit score of 730. Okay. That's an example of a tightening lending standard. They're making okay. it harder for people, harder for people to borrow. Are people so finding have, that? I mean, that's what's happening, isn't it? That's exactly what's happening right now. And by the way, that's what the government, that's what the government wants. That's a not, the, the only way we can slow down the, I shouldn't say the only way, one of the few ways we can slow down the economy is by raising lending standards because the banks supply the capital for companies to expand, for individuals, you know, to buy a new house, buy a new car, and the list goes on and on. It comes through the banks and about half of the funding, uh, we started off talking about regional banks, about half of the funding, half of the loans that are made nationwide come from regional banks. So, you know, if you're in Ohio, you probably know Fifth Third Bank, which is, sure. which is, a, which is a very well-respected bank for a regional bank. Um, but these same issues are possible with all of them. So there's, there's a lot more to it than just looking at a price to earnings ratio or a price to book. You know, a lot of people look at banks, uh, from a price to book value is how they value it, but there's a lot more things to consider, right? Because if you didn't know some of the things we're talking about now, you could have lost a lot of money by investing in one of those bank stocks without even knowing all the, all the, uh, behind the scenes facts. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. And, and uh, I mean, you know, the stuff that goes on behind the scenes is sort of, you know, you get to peek behind the curtain every now and again like this, and, and you really learn a lot. I mean, yeah, for those you, of us that, that haven't been involved in this, I mean, you, this probably wasn't a big surprise to you. The, you, you know, I was surprised about the specific institutions, like who it was, but I knew, I knew somebody would get hurt by it. Sure. Um, you just don't know who it's going to be, and which going back to the Warren Buffett thing. Uh, you know, and it's, it's difficult to know, but I think the key, you know what I like to start off with when I sit down, when I sit down with uh, clients or potential clients, the first thing I want to talk about is what they're doing now. You know, where do you have your money now? You know, do you have it all in stocks? Is it in bonds? Are you in cash? And that gives me an idea of how, what they're, what we call risk tolerance. You know, how much risk is a person comfortable taking? Uh, can you still sleep at night if, the, if your portfolio is down 20%, right? Things like that. So we want to figure out how much you're comfortable with risk. Um, and then, and, and then what I do is, um, I put, I put the investments in, I recommend safe areas to put the money. In other words, a lot of people will talk about annuities as though they're all the same and they're not, we've talked about it before. There are big, big differences from one to the other. There are common denominators, just like there are, you, you know, all cars are not the same. I like to say they've got common denominators, right? But they're definitely not all the same. And it's, and you want to think about annuities that way too. The group that I like are the fixed annuities that pay a set interest rate. Like right now, you can still get five and a half percent for five years on a guaranteed basis, no fees, which is far better than any bank out there. Um, or the index annuity where you can make money when the stock market indexes go higher, but you don't lose the dime if they go down. All right. And so, so for people that want to avoid risk, that's really what I suggest. Either go, we go into, and I like to mix it up. Let's do something, put some of the money, a portion of the portfolio, 
into something with a guaranteed interest rate. We'll put another piece into it uh, for the safety, but give you better growth potential, maybe with an index annuity, and then other money in stocks and bonds for however much you're comfortable having it, having exposed to risk. But you need to start off figuring how much you want to risk before you can figure out everything else. Okay, sure. Uh, and but again, the main thing is to to sit down with somebody like you who who understands the the subtleties and the not so subtleties of making that happen, making it a part of the plan. Um, yes, you know what makes sure. sense to put in your plan. And so, are we at this point? Uh, are we seeing things different now than than we did say a month ago? Well, I think you're. Uh, I think it. I think, let me say it this way. I think some people are. Okay. okay. All right. I'm, I'm not seeing it differently because we've been stuck in a trading range in the markets for several months now. Um, you know, the S&P just is between 3,900 and 4,000. Uh, the range has gotten tighter. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I like, if you've got a view and you're looking at money that you won't need for at least the next three years, then I believe you can make a strong argument for investing in, in the stock market. Um, it all, again, comes back to your, how comfortable you are with risk, the objective for the money, things like that. Um, but I'll tell you what, guys, if you've lost some money in the stock market, how about if I could show you a way that I can guarantee you 20%, actually 20, over 22% guaranteed in the first year. My hands guaranteed. up. <laughs> all right. Yeah, my hands up. Because, because right now I do have that available, um, but it is only for a limited time. Uh, so if anybody's interested, I can show you how we can do it. I can guarantee it to you contractually that you'll get a 22%, almost 23% gain in your first year. So every, you know, you put in a hundred thousand, it's guaranteed. You'll have about 123 in your first year. And that's not being in the stock market at all. It's simply fixed interest rates. All right. And then in the second year, if we want to allocate some money towards stocks, we can do that through an index, right? So we make money if the index goes higher, but if the index goes lower, you don't lose any money, guaranteed. So we can lock in that first year gain of 20% plus, and then, and then you know that becomes your floor. And that's what's nice about these vehicles is that every year you lock in the gain and whatever amount you've locked in, now that is the amount you cannot lose. And what, I'm like, what I like right now, I like to see nice, because I do think, uh, I do. It seems to me, feels to me like we're going into recession. The question is, how bad is it going to be? Um, nobody knows the answer to that. You know, so if you want to be cautious, you want to be careful, maybe now is a good time to go into some guaranteed vehicles that you don't have any risk of a loss that allow you to maybe in another year, maybe then you put some more money in the market, or maybe you do it with a vehicle that you still wouldn't lose any money, like is what I'm referring to. Mm -hmm. So where I can show you gains of up to 11% a year on the S&P 500, you don't lose a dime if it goes down and you start off making a 22% gain in your first year. So that's the type of thing that I'm suggesting to my clients right now. Um, and I, I expect it to work out very well. Man, that sounds great. Um, folks, if you want to reach out to Kevin, here's the phone number. It's 800-975-6717, 800-975-6717. But you can just go to the website, silverleaffinancial.com. You can reach out to Kevin right there, send him an email. He'll get back to you, no problem, and have that conversation. And, and so when you talk about a recession, we don't know how bad it's going to be. I mean... I mean, I've lived through a few. I mean, you know, I'm I'm old enough to have lived through a few of these things, and and uh, you know, I is it as big a deal? I mean, it, to me, it doesn't seem like it's. I mean, it's a big deal, but it's not a big deal. I mean, if you if you're managing your money, it it shouldn't it shouldn't really have much of an impact, or should it? 
The no, no, you're right. And for people, for people that are managing their money, um, that maintain their employment, uh, then it shouldn't be a big deal. And what that means is everybody should have, you know, an emergency fund, okay, yes. in place. Yep. Um, and the emergency fund is there to protect you in case you lost your job or you, you get in an accident, you can't work, and you have no income. Whatever the situation might be, if you lose your income, how are you going to pay your bills? And what we start off with is is talking about the emergency fund. And the typical suggestion is between six and 12 months. Some people are going as far as 18 months. In other words, whatever your monthly expenses are, let's say it's five grand, if it's five grand a month, all right, then you should have, a, I would say on a, on a minimum, $30,000 in the bank. But if you really want to be safe, you could have as much as 75, 80 or 100,000 in the bank. And so, and so that's, now, now I would have that in a money market account, so you're earning interest on it. Um, you know, but that's money there that's, that you can tap into if you, if you do need it. And mm-hmm. so going back to the recession talk, you know, for the majority of us, it, it's, um, I, I don't think it's going to be a big deal where it's bad is it does tend to hit the lower end of the income scale, the hardest, because the people on the lower end have, have the, the smallest amount of cushion, you know, they've got, they've got the least amount of savings. Um, and so if they lose their job, chances are they're going to be in trouble because a lot of them are living check, you know, paycheck to paycheck. Um, and so that's where it becomes very difficult. Um, the fact of the matter is nobody likes to see somebody else lose a job, you know, but I, I think you got to make a decision for the masses and the masses are, you know, the, the entire population of the country or the entire working, you know, the entire adult population of the country versus, you know, maybe a couple million that'll lose their jobs. Um, and so it's really a situation where we're trying to do what's best for the majority, which is getting interest, I'm sorry, getting inflation down. All right. Because inflation is hitting everybody. And, and so the only way to get inflation down is to slow down the economy, slow down the lending from the banks, right. Which we're seeing it's, it's taken place already slowing down the wage increases. And that means that some, usually it means people have to lose their jobs because when people start losing their jobs, that means employers don't need to hire as many people. So that means employees aren't in as big of demand, which means they're not as likely to give their existing employees as big of a raise. And when you give raises to employees, they tend to go out and spend the money, right? <laughs> well, we, yes, in theory, you pay, yes. You, you pay me more money, I'm probably going to go spend more. And consumer spending is two-thirds of this economy. So in the U.S., consumer spending is, is between two-thirds and 70% wow. of all economic, all economic activity. So that's when you, and when, you follow, when you follow the puck, so to speak, you know, that's why the government wants to slow it down. That's why the answer is cutting spending, you know, reducing lending, slowing down the economy, so we don't keep on having this six, seven, eight percent inflation that's been hurting every one of us. So the uh, the recent, uh, uh, well, this week's uh, uh, interest rate hike, quarter of, of of a percent, right? Quarter point. Yeah, twenty five basis. Twenty five basis points. So. Um, is that what you expected? Is that what people expected? I mean, I was hearing it could be 50. It could it, be nothing. Yeah. That, well, it, it is what I expected. It is what the majority of us expected because it, it was expected. To, we, we all, the majority of people, the majority of economists and analysts expected the Fed to raise rates. Uh, the, the odds were leaning towards a half a point increase until the bank failures started hitting. Yes. And, and when the bank failures started hitting, what happened is the bond market, the bond market interest rates dropped like a rock. I mean, the the two-year treasury note, I'd say two to three weeks ago, was over 5%. Right. I remember so, talking about it. Yeah. And now it's below four. And and so 
what that means, you know, the, there, there are other ways that, that, that the economy can slow down and, and uh, it's not just from the Federal Reserve, but the actions that have been taken, um, they zap confidence, right? They destroy consumer confidence. Mm-hmm. Everybody's questioning their bank. Uh, a lot of people are here and talk about recession. And so what, that, what, what, it, what it forces a lot of people to do is to rein in their spending a little bit, right? Maybe I'm not going to take that $5,000 vacation this summer. Maybe I'm just going to take a thousand dollar, you know, a long weekend somewhere, things like that. Okay. Maybe I won't take a vacation at all. And maybe I'll, you know, well, me and my wife will go on a shopping spree and spend a couple, I don't know, 500 bucks or something. And instead of the five grand we'd spend on a vacation or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. Yeah. And so I think, I think a lot of people, they're reining in their spending and that's also going to help to slow down the economy. So um, I, I think that these other events that have taken place have done some of the work for the Fed. Um, but we did expect to see the quarter point. And I think if they didn't do the quarter point, I think that would have caused the Fed to lose even more credibility uh, than they lost uh, in the past few years. Mm-hmm. And and do you anticipate another uh, another increase in the in the coming months? You know, that's uh, I hate to say it, but that's all going to depend on the data. Yeah. Um, all right. Personally, I, I personally don't expect. I think there's a good chance. We right, okay. Right now, I can say it this way. Right now, the you, you can look into the futures markets, guys, and see what the market's anticipating. Right now, it's about even odds. There's about a 50% chance of another of another quarter point hike at the next meeting, and the other 50% chance is that there's no move at all. Okay, um, and so right now it looks like we're coming to the end of the rate hiking cycle, and the debate now is is that a good thing or a bad thing? Um, because does that mean the economy is really slowing down too much, and does that mean you know we should not invest, or does that mean the economy is still growing strong and we can invest and so it's a million dollar question. That's every day in the every day in the life of the stock market is figuring out what it, <laughs> what does this all mean. Yep. Well, and again, those are the questions, and and uh, you're here every week to help uh, sort of again calm those fears and and cut through the noise. And and you know what, I am happy to do it. I'm happy to help anybody that would like to have a conversation. And guys, there are guaranteed things out there right now. Um, interest rates are higher than they've been in 15 years, so you can still lock in some good interest rates. Uh, or there's other things we can do for safety. Just uh, reach out, give me a call or send me an email. I'll be happy to show you some ideas. Provided this for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute investment tax or legal advice. The covered material has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. There are risks associated with every type of investment vehicle. Please read the prospectus and risk disclosures thoroughly before investing. Insurance guarantees are subject to the insurance company's ability to pay. Neither Silverleaf Financial, Kevin Brooker, hosts, and guests are responsible for the usage of information discussed. Security and investment services offered through Silverleaf Financial, member Spinra SIPC. Please consult with an experienced advisor before making any investment decisions. Volatility in the market is a fact. What isn't so clear is what the ups and downs of the market can do to your retirement portfolio. For answers, call Kevin Brooker at 800-975-6717. Kevin is founder and CEO of Silverleaf Financial, and he's been helping people cut through the noise and create a retirement and income plan that can take you all the way through retirement. Call now for your free financial consultation, 800-975-6717. Today's market volatility can really take a toll on your portfolio. But what if you could lock in your gains and still be in a position to participate in the gains without suffering losses if the market plunges again? That's what Kevin Brooker at Silverleaf Financial 
can help you achieve. Your no-cost analysis includes a portfolio x-ray showing any hidden fees in your current plan. He'll show you how by claiming Social Security at the right time can make a huge difference in your retirement income. Call Kevin Brooker today, 800-975-6717. Do it today. 